This is Aaron Golub, host of the Blind Ambition Podcast. We'll be bringing you world-class leaders, entrepreneurs, and athletes, people who have overcome obstacles and used their ambition to create enormous success in their lives. If you enjoy this podcast, if you get anything out of it, the only thing I'll ever ask is that you subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Craig, thank you so much for being here today with me. I'm, I'm really excited to get this going and, and share your story. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah, so for those of you tuning in, I'm joined by Craig Ballantyne. Craig is a extremely successful entrepreneur, a speaker, an author, and you know, self-proclaimed, I would say, most disciplined men in the world. No, it's not, it's not me no, who says it. It's not other you. Pe- other people who say it. Um, okay. I, I, I repeat it, but I, I'm not the first <laughs> person who said it. Give us a little background of your story and how you maybe earned that title. Yeah, so I grew up on a farm in Canada, and I really wanted to get into pro sports like you did, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't train as hard as you did, um, because I noticed that you really did a lot of the work. And so I thought, hey, you know what, the next best thing is for me to be a coach in professional sports. And then I got it end up going from there into the personal training world, and then realized the habits of success, which then led me to showing other people. And I wrote a couple books around it. And and that's led me to where I am today. So what people, people would say like, wow, you're really productive. Therefore, you must be really disciplined. And that's where they came up with the whole shtick on the uh, most disciplined man in the world. So my friend Ed O'Keefe from Chicago, I think was the first guy to ever call me the most disciplined man in the world. And a bunch of other people do. But at the end of the day, I'm not super disciplined. And in fact, what most people think Well, the secret to being disciplined is actually to remove temptation, but a lot of people think that the secret to discipline is adding new things into their life, but it's not adding new things. It's removing the things that can destroy you. And once you remove all the things that destroy you, you just naturally become more effective, more productive. You know, you don't drink, you don't, you don't uh, stay up until four o'clock in the morning you know, watching movies or going out with bad friends, if you remove those temptations from your life. So I'm not saying you can't have fun in life. I'm just saying remove the temptations that destroy you, and then you'll have more success. I think one of the funniest things in the world that I noticed a lot are people who say, I don't have enough time for X, Y, or Z. And then you look at their phone and their screen time is like 11 hours a day. Like, yeah, of I course mean, you don't have time. Yeah, it's that, or I don't have enough time to invest in you know, a, a new course or something, but, uh, and, and I'm going to Vegas next weekend anyways. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. So we hear that all the time. People are, people are, um, rationally irrational. I mean, we're just, we're, you know, and nothing has been a better example of this than the whole pandemic is, you know, you see somebody will wear a mask to a, to a restaurant table, but then as soon as they sit down, the masks don't matter or, you know, it's stuff like that. And I don't want to argue mask uh, effectiveness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that the behavior of humans is not rational. And at the end of the day, we, the most important thing, Aaron, is for people to admit that I'm not willing to do this. Therefore it frees them of like saying, Oh, I'm going to try and find time. Like, no, listen, if you're not going to sit down and and write a book and it takes a lot of pain to write a book because I've written three of them and I know what it's like, just say like, I'm not willing to do it and move on. Um, you know, I, I have a personal trainer. I used to be a personal trainer, but I still hire personal trainers for myself because 
Otherwise, I'm just going to do the stuff I like to do, but I have to do some other things yeah. in the gym for my health. And I, I'm just going to, I just tell them, like, I'm not even going to try and do this exercise or I'm not, I'm not here for conditioning. I'm here for strength only. So I'm not even going to try if you give me that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you straight up, like, this yeah. is not what I'm here for. I'm here for this. And it's the same in any area of your life. If, if, if you want to run a marathon, just because other people say running a marathon is cool, you'll, you'll never commit to doing it. So just get more laser focused. Say no. I have a little quote, Aaron, that says, if you want to do great things, you have to do fewer things. If you want to do great things, you have to do fewer things. Be okay with doing fewer things better than trying to do an okay job at a million things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. It's, it's always interesting to me when people, especially when they're young, when they're, you know, my age, they say they're 24. Oh, wow. And man. they say they're, they're serial entrepreneurs and they're running like seven businesses at a time. And I'm like, man, all right, I'm doing two things and two things is a ton and, and they complement each other well. And so that's, you know, it works, but more than that, man, when you are young, don't, don't, don't try and run seven different businesses at the same time, get laser focused and really good at one. Yeah. Jack, Jack of all trades, master of none. And, and so here's the thing is we see all these guys like Elon and Bezos and all these guys, they have so many things going on, but at one point they really had one yep. and you've got to go deep before you go wide. And if exactly, and you know, like, I, I give advice to a lot of young people uh, because we get so many messages through Instagram and I love answering all the messages. And, and I tell people like at a young age, you shouldn't even start your own business in most cases. What you should do is you should go and work for a great entrepreneur. See what it's really like and, and see how they run the business. And you're getting paid to be mentored. So work for a great entrepreneur get paid to be mentored by them. And after a couple of years, you'll start to see this is how a business is actually successful. It solves problems that other people have. It's not you're creating something because you want to do it. No, you go and solve a problem for other people. And you're going to learn how to lead people and how to deal with customers and all that sort of stuff. And then you can actually decide whether or not you're up for the whole roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur because it will punch you in the gut multiple times a day. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think has been the most challenging thing for you of staying disciplined, keeping with your time, keeping with your schedule, building your businesses, everything that you have going on and, and developing the brand for yourself that you've had? What, what has been the most difficult thing? I think the most difficult thing for me is uh, the emotional IQ side of things, um, being empathetic, be, you know, uh, dealing with other people and everything from hiring to coaching, to managing people on my team. Uh, I'm just the type of person who, if you, if you give, give me instructions and I'll go and do the thing and I'll come back asking for more and I'll try and do it as fast as possible. Yep. But people operate in different ways. I'm not saying my way was the best way because doing things as fast as possible sometimes doesn't mean it's the actual best version of the thing. And so also communicating what you want done. I mean, that is incredibly difficult. Like inside your head, you have this vision of how you want a task performed by somebody. 
whether it's creating, you know, like, you know, maybe you've had somebody create a PowerPoint for one of your presentations and in your mind, you want it to look like X, but they sent you back something different, which was maybe better or maybe different or maybe not as good. Um, it may have been beautiful in its own way, but they sent you back something totally different. And it's because you didn't com clearly communicate what was in your head as the job to be done. So it's always for me is dealing with other people because I'm a generally introverted by nature and it takes a little bit of extra effort for me to do that stuff. You can drop me in to a different time zone on very little sleep uh, at any time of the day and I'll be back on my routine, you know, in three hours. Like it's nothing for me to stick to that stuff. But when it comes to making sure that another person has understood my communication, has performed at their best, and has been given the support they need to perform at their best or to get corrected in a way that comes off as being, uh, you know, like a great coach would correct somebody. That's the most difficult thing for me. So then what do you do? Well, how, how do you correct people? How do you tell them that, you know, maybe it's your fault for not coming across clearly enough, or maybe it's their fault for not, not putting in the effort or, or, or creating it as well as they should have, but how do you come across and say, this was done this way, next time we need to do it this way? Yeah, so that's, that's an incredible question. Am I the best at it? No, but I would say that it's really sitting down with them and reviewing somebody's work. It's like watching game tape, right? Like if, if you say to somebody three weeks after a game and you say, listen, the way that you snapped that ball uh, in the third quarter uh, for that punt, I don't want you to do that uh, it like that again. And you're like, what are you talking about? I have no idea. I don't remember that game, let alone the actual snap. And so it needs to be like, as soon as something is done, like in my business today, something, something very small went wrong. One of my team members was posting our Instagram story of the day and there was a series of eight slides and one of them was left out. Therefore, the second half of it really didn't make sense. Now, did it still kind of sort of work? Yes, but it didn't really make sense. So it was back to them. And, was, and again, this is my fault because I never communicated, you have to check your work. And unless people are told exactly what to do, they're probably not going to proactively think oh, once I posted this, I should go back and check the accuracy. So it was like, hey, um, was just reviewing today's story. And I think we left something out, not you left something out. We left something out. Um, here's what we wanted. Let's have, let's have that correction made. And then let's add this to the checklist because everything should be run off a checklist so that you can you can both agree on the checklist and then go back to the checklist and say, hey, you know, step number seven was not done. Um, how can we make sure that step number seven gets done in the future? But let's just add to this, this to the checklist that when work is done, we go back and, and check it. And that means making sure that if we use a planning software for an Instagram post to go up on Thursday at nine o'clock, let's make sure that we go on Instagram at nine o'clock on Thursday and make sure that that post came up because sometimes it, the software has a bug in it. Okay, great. So it's the checklist is check your work. So now you've just got these standard operating procedures that people will follow. And surgeons operate on checklists. Um, pilots operate on checklists. 
if these guys can operate on checklists, these guys and gals can operate on checklists, anybody can operate on checklists. Yeah. So, and, and then it is non-emotional, right? It's like, this is a checklist. Your work compared to the checklist, something doesn't match. We need to fix this. And if we keep on seeing this mistake, when it's a simple checklist, then, it, then you know, it, we're not sure if... Um, I just wonder if, if you care about, you know, we've got to dive deeper. Like what's stopping you from doing this? Do you not care about the work? Because one of my mentors once said to me that if somebody is underperforming, it's a matter of skill or commitment. Yeah. Is it a matter of skill? Like, can somebody actually design a website? If they can't, well, they got to go and get, you know, the, the courses or the tools. But if somebody has all the skill to do the job, but the job is not done right, it's a matter of commitment. Yeah. And... Yeah. It, you know, so today was a matter of commitment. It's not like the, the team member didn't know how to upload an Instagram story. They know how to do it. They just didn't have the commitment and they didn't have the level of care to go and check their work, which, you know, shame on me because I clearly haven't inspired in that individual that level of work. And, and we all know where people like you all hear the, we've all heard the phrase, that person went above and beyond. And if someone cares enough and has the commitment, they will go above and beyond, which means not only will they follow the checklist, they'll make the checklist better. They'll make the thing even better. And they'll have checked their work without somebody asking because that's above and beyond. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. I think that's so true. I mean, like if, if I go and screw up a, a talk on stage then that's 100 percent on me because i didn't prep well enough for that but if you told me aaron go build a website yeah that's that's not my forte i pay someone on my team to do that because i don't have the skill to do that and i think everyone needs to figure out what their skill set is and then when they know their skill set go 100 percent into that here's here's a really great example of skill and commitment so um you, you, I don't even know if you would have been alive uh, when the Cowboys played the Buffalo Bills in the one Super Bowl where Leon Lett ran the football back and he was like on the one yard line and Don Beebe uh, caused the fumble, right? Like, could other guys have caught Leon Lett? Probably. Don Beebe was the only guy with commitment in that game to do that. Game was already like blown away, but yeah. that's, that's a level of commitment and and of course, you, there's that in every game. Every game, you see that guy who is faster than other people, but doesn't have the commitment and you know, either doesn't have that great of a career or you've played that team that, man, those guys like are all all-stars, yet they can't win a championship because there's something missing there. And then you, you come up against those teams. I remember there was a team... Butler University in the final four years ago, like they, they, they outperformed, they outachieved. They shouldn't have been in the final four. Uh, I'm not a huge basketball fan. I just remember I was watching it at a friend's and it was like, they should not have been there, but they did because of the commitment. And, and, you know, that's what all great uh, sports movies are about is it was really comes down to commitment over, over skill. So when you, but when you have that combination of the two, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. There's a really great shtick on, on YouTube by this guy, Bo Eason. And Bo Eason used to play for the San Francisco 49ers. And today, Bo Eason is a speech, speaking coach. Have you ever seen any of Bo's stuff? 
I have not. I'm gonna have to look him up after yeah, this. Yeah, he's he's absolutely amazing. Um, but the story is really about Jerry Rice. So so Bo Eason, I think it's on YouTube. You have to like search Bo Eason Jerry Rice skit or something. And he would say how you know they were both on the 49ers. I think they were both receivers, and they would line up. And Jerry Rice, like it, it's like a 10 in out drill, right? You know, you, yeah. I'm, I make this up. I'm not a football player, but you know, it's like <laughs> you run the pattern, you get the ball. Jerry Rice ran every single pattern to the end zone. Every single one gets the ball. And Bo Eason does this like great imitation. He's like, gets a ball and then, and then all the way to the end zone and then all the way back. And everybody's like, what's going on here? But that was just skill and commitment. And now, I mean, Jerry Rice, if you're a football fan, like everyone will always remember the name Jerry Rice, even if you're born in 2010, because he's yeah. such a legend. So the, the, the combination of when you can get skill and commitment, I mean, that's where the magic happens. 100%. So what are the types of entrepreneurs and people that you, you know, coach and work with and how do you help them? We work with a lot of people that are blue collar uh, millionaires is what we call them. They either have a blue collar uh, work ethic. So maybe they're in a white collar type job like finance or accounting or uh, technology or something. But, you know, they came like me, they grew up um, with a blue collar background. I, I grew up on a farm in Canada, that sort of stuff. So those types of people are attracted to us or people that are actually in blue collar industries, like a lot of construction, um, gym owners, which is kind of blue collar-ish and then farming and trucking services and all these types of, you know, not sexy types of businesses, but, you know, they're the people who are willing to work hard. But the problem is that work ethic can actually be um, a detriment to you because uh, of these five words that most entrepreneurs will say, and it is, I will do it myself. And when you say, I will do it myself, because you're a blue collar work ethic, and you don't think anybody else can do it as well as you, or, you know, you're just such a blue collar person that you were, you're like, oh, delegation, man, I can't go and ask somebody to clean the toilets. Who am I to, you know, ask somebody to clean the toilets? I'm not, I don't want people thinking I'm above that, or I'm better than them. And then, you know, you put 70 hours of work on your back, because you are unwilling to delegate, and you will do it yourself. And the next thing you know, you're ending up stressed, uh, a lot of anxiety. I dealt with a lot of anxiety when I was younger. Um, you're ruining your relationships because you will do it yourself. Uh, and so we work with people that, that are like, man, you know, I got a great business, but all I do is work and I need some help. So that's what we tend to do. And then we teach them how to build teams. We teach them how to do better sales and marketing so that they're not doing as much manual labor. We teach them how to automate stuff. Uh, and we teach them how to probably better manage their schedules because even in the busiest person's schedule, I can, I can save somebody 10 to 15 hours a week with a little bit of an audit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. You know, talk briefly about your battle with anxiety. You know, I've, I've read a couple of your books and, and I remember reading about it in, in Unstoppable and you know, how you got over it, but I'm sure my audience would love to hear kind of that path and journey really quick. Yeah, well, I mean, no one should shed a tear for me. I was just a stupid kid who, uh, you know, lived his frat boy life too long. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I um, was introverted. I didn't, I didn't get my thoughts out of my head. I didn't, you know, talk when I had problems. And so I kind of compressed everything down. And then you throw in like working all the time. And then you throw in 
binge drinking on weekends, uh, you know, so that really messed me up physically. So even though I was in, I was in like incredible shape at the time, I ended up having these anxiety attacks and I went to the emergency room and there I am like 29 or 30 six pack abs walking in saying, I think I'm having a heart attack. And I did that twice in the course of six months. And I, man, I did all these things um, that I, I didn't enjoy any of them, but I did yoga, meditation, Qigong, Tai Chi, all of these things. I had to learn how to breathe properly. I had to learn how to slow down. I had to obviously change my diet. I wasn't really a huge consumer of caffeine, but it was the binge drinking that really threw me off, uh, sleep more and, you know, start doing stuff like journaling and that type of get out of your head stuff. And by doing that, you know, I put all the tools that I used in that book, Unstoppable, that you mentioned. And now I don't deal with any anxiety. It's um, I'm still kind of impatient and I, I rush through things, but anxiety is not something I'll ever deal with again, just because I know that if I'm feeling anxious in any way, here are 19 things I can do to eliminate that very, very quickly. Yeah. And, and breathing is huge because most of us breathe from up here, our upper chest. And when you do that, if you think of somebody like, like you've, we've all seen a TV show where somebody has to blow into a paper bag or something. And that's the way most people, you know, they're at their computer and they're doing these short, shallow breaths from their upper chest. And that increases the amount of carbon dioxide you blow off, which I believe, which then increases the adrenaline released in your bloodstream. And adrenaline is, as most of us know, is kind of associated with that high level um, alertness state. But if you have adrenaline from bad breathing, you have adrenaline from too much caffeine, you have adrenaline from the stress of your job, all of that stuff is just going to blow up on you. And then it'll, your body will go into this state where it just can't get, um, there's a sympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, uh, poorly named, but it's the one that causes that heightened sense of like, ah, I'm about to, to blow up. And we are our nervous system just gets kind of locked in that state where our, our chest is tightened, our heart rate is elevated. I even had tingles from the top of my head down to the end of my fingertips for six weeks straight, like literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I could only sleep about four hours and then I'd wake up in an anxious state. Yeah. And it was after six weeks of that, I just gave up and went to the emergency room again. But that's, that's what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, to a lot of, you know, like, like it's a good thing, like you're getting this stuff now and, and usually have like this understanding of it because it usually happens around age 30, 35, where when you're young, uh, youth will is a bit of a forgiveness on this. Like, you know, you, when you're young, when you, you probably noticed the difference when you were 20 and 24, like when you were 20, you could do some superhuman things. So it's like, man, I haven't slept in like three days and I'm going to go and, and, uh, you know, start two a days in football. And I, I, I went to school in, in New Orleans and oh, it's just yeah. amazing because like, you know, Mardi Gras was Thursday night through Tuesday morning, like sleeping like two hours a night doing that now. Like, and I just, a, I don't have an interest, but right. B, I just, I, I don't think my body can handle that. Right. It, it's, it's exactly it. Now, you know, fast forward another 10 years and, when you got like 15 years of being an entrepreneur and just seriously burning the candle at both ends, it just catches up to you. And in some, so it's going to manifest in a 35 year old male entrepreneur in one way or another. For some people, yeah. it's horrible. It could be cancer. For some people, it could be anxiety. For some people, 
um, you know, it, it could be they all of a sudden they just start acting out and, and by acting out, you know, they midlife crisis and that sort of stuff. But it's just there's just something that flips in the late 30s. And and most guys take that as a warning sign and go, OK, I got to take it. I can't run it, you know, fifth or sixth gear, you know, for the rest of my life. And then they start doing something. And most of the guys uh, we work with a lot of men in that age range with a couple of young kids who still want to scale their business, but are like, I, I'm not sacrificing my life mm -hmm. and my family for it. And so we have a pretty good system that just works over and over and over again for those guys. Like we have this one guy who who's an accountant, 38, 39, you know, he's having panic attacks. He couldn't pay attention at dinner. And he, he read my perfect week formula book and that fixed them pretty well. And then, you know, now we work with them on a higher level and like mm -hmm. he takes all Friday off and his business is bigger than ever. So it's, it's not like you have to work hard to be more successful in, yeah. in, um, in business. It's like, you could have the worst, you know, if, if you work harder on a bad training program, it's not as good as working less on a better training program. Like you just want to find that program both in fitness and in business that gets you the maximum results for the least amount of uh, sacrifice. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, what, what advice, you know, here would you give an entrepreneur who, you know, is struggling with their discipline or struggling with their time to, you know, create success in their lives? So back to what we talked about at the start of the call is let's take a look at not adding more stuff in, but what can we, what can we remove? And so is it, you've got one successful business and you just thought like, Hey, it'd be fun to start another business or uh, you've got two houses and you really only should have one or you're, you know, like even, even working out, like I tell a lot of people to stop working out so much. Like you're not 25 years old anymore. You're not going into bodybuilding competitions. You don't need to be in the gym six days a week for an hour and 20 minutes. It, we can cut you down to three or four days per week, shorter workouts. You're going to be just as healthy. Your joints are going to hurt less. And you're now going to have an extra four hours to either put into your family or your business. Um, and then it's also like, let me go through your day and let's identify how many $10 an hour tasks are you doing? And what I mean by that is there's so many things like, are you running to the FedEx store? Are you editing your own videos? Are you, you know, fixing the hole in the wall when somebody else could fix the hole in the wall? And it's like, what, what are you doing that you could hire somebody for 25, 30, 50, 75, maybe even hundred dollars an hour. And you just set that limit. You say, if I can pay somebody hundred dollars an hour or less or $50 an hour or less to do this job, I'm not allowed to do it. And all of a sudden now I've got another five to 10 hours per week where you can go and put that into $500 an hour jobs. So everybody's always worried like, oh man, I don't have any, I don't have the money to go and pay people to do stuff. Well, the great thing about today uh, more than ever is that you know we have we live in the quote unquote gig economy right like you don't need an executive assistant working for you 50 hours a week you can get somebody online doing 10 hours a week for you at $10 an hour from you know some other country to do stuff that you don't need to be doing that doesn't need somebody in person and maybe you get somebody for 20 hours a week in person but yeah. it's not the expense that you think it is 
And then it's not just an expense because it's actually an investment in opening up your time. So if you stop doing 10 hours of video editing and you know, uploading your know, customer service, now you have 10 hours. And what could you do if you had another 10 hours per week to do sales and marketing for your business? Well, you're going to make 10 times as much money as what it costs to have opened up those 10 hours. So that's, that's really important where we start with people is just let me look at your day. And, I, and then not only that, but also the order in which you do things in the day. If you're waking up and you're reading the paper, going to the gym, uh, checking your social media and answering your email, like that's a horrible order of operations. You need to get up and, and because you're never going to get around to the sales and marketing that you need to do. So you get yeah. up and you focus on sales and marketing for an hour and great. Now you've won the day. You've got something so important done that you wouldn't have been able to find time over the rest of the day. You have to do it earlier. Mark Twain said, if your job is to eat a frog, best thing to do is eat that frog first thing in the morning. If your job is to eat two frogs, the best thing to do is eat the biggest frog first. And most people say, oh, I'll get to that later on. Never happens. They wake up the next morning and it's like Groundhog Day. And the next thing you know, six weeks have gone by and they've made zero progress on that hard thing because they yeah. keep on like somehow convincing themselves that they're going to actually find time to do it later on in the day when they have no discipline, when they have all these emergencies and it never happens. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you for all of that. And, and thank you for taking the time to be here today. And no I problem. really do appreciate it. No problem, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it at all, if you got one thing out of it, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you.